This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. In the Manchester School of Leadership, we were recently joined by Simon Brady, and Simon taught a session on practical shepherding skills for times of worship. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that session. You can find full notes on everything that Simon said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 114. So here is Simon Brady. We're going to look at some uh, practical shepherding skills for worship leaders and for meeting hosts today. Um, also, I might touch on the creating a culture of apprenticing thing that Tim was just talking about, um, if that's helpful. Um, yeah, should we just pray, just commit this, this morning to God, shall we? Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that we, we slept well last night. Thank you, sleep is a gift from you. You give sleep to those that you love. Thank you for this daily reminder of our weakness. We're as strong as we feel. We can't really go for many hours without just crashing and needing to stop. And it just reminds us, God, of your everlasting power. You don't grow faint or weary. You don't wake up in a bad mood or just needing strength. You're this self-replenishing. Uh, just, uh, you are just strength, life, and energy. Thank you, Lord. You've built vulnerability into us. The daily reminder, we need God. We need to stop. And um, we thank you, God, for just giving us rest. You pray even this morning that this would be a restful morning in that sense for our souls. You'd lead us to just quiet waters, that you'd restore us, uh, that you'd inspire us, help us to see you, just grant faith. Um, God, I pray for just new strength, new energy for today, and give us faith to go back and to build uh, your church in our, on our cities and towns. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to look at some uh, practical shepherding skills. Um, and really, I think looking at how we pastor our congregations in worship. Um, we, we're pastors in lounges and counselling rooms. We're pastoring people as we're preaching. But also, when we're leading people in worship, we're pastoring people to enjoy Jesus and to love him. You know, you're helping hearts to come back to, to love Jesus again. That's pastoring at its best, isn't it? Helping people to just come and love God afresh. But also, pastoring people, as you know, is about helping people to stand just to stand and three areas really particularly I want to look at is helping people to stand in their identity helping people to stand in suffering and helping people to stand in their weakness three areas that people often just will fall down on the enemy will try and get them to just not stand on those things and we're called as leaders and as pastors to help help our congregations help our people to stand in those three places and to love Jesus through those so firstly just helping people to stand in their identity um, why is that important remember Jesus we looked yesterday worshiping in truth means worshiping God with the facts not worshiping in lies not buying into the, the deceiver's lies who will heap on condemnation who will tell you all kinds of things and then he will try and manipulate us and our flocks to worship Jesus out of that place 
So we, as pastors, as leaders, as worshippers, we need to help people to come and stand in their identity, come and stand in what's true. Um, so I've got some just real, it's quite a practical session, real practical ways just as worship leaders and as meeting hosts, we can just help people to stand in their identity. Um, so looking at this, just the way we open meetings touched on this yesterday just key key ways we can help people to stand in who they are Um, people are forgetful we need to constantly remind people just us as as pastors we're forgetful we need to do this for ourselves we wake up on sunday mornings with all kinds of emotions and things we need to pastor ourselves just in who we are in god but actually our congregations we need to constantly be reminding people when we open meetings are we those that open the bible or just open our mouths we actually want to lead people to truth not just a few good ideas so I've got for you, um, I've just picked seven, my seven kind of first go-tos for opening worship times. Um, I'm sure you've all got like many more and lots of different verses, but here's some examples. And I think just the headline for this is wanting people to stand in their identity, but also I think I'm wanting to help... Um, Wanting to help worship be a heart response to God, um, a God thing, not just like a law-based thing. You know, I touched on this a little bit yesterday, but just to go there again, just to give a bit more context to these seven things about just grace versus law, which we know is is like a New Testament, Old Testament thing, but how that outworks in in leading worship, how that outworks in the way we shepherd's rooms. So often we can just appeal to the will try and rally people's will to do something. And really, when we do that, often what we're doing is just putting law on people. Come, we should worship him. And he's really, let's give him our everything today. Let's make a big noise. You're just telling me to do things. Just telling me to do. You're not actually giving me reasons why I should do that. (coughs) Just telling people what to do doesn't actually touch the heart. That's actually not God's style. God comes to the heart. God came in a woken heart. We love him because he first loved us. He engages our heart. He gives us a new heart. And his style, he keeps doing that again and again. He, he wins us from the inside. Um, so I don't like, we can, some of the seven things, you know, I could give you some examples of how to open meetings, but really all I'm doing is just telling you to worship. No, come on, everybody. Let's really worship this morning. It says in the Bible, worship him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Let's give him our everything. And then I could be enthusiastic and throw my arms in the air and have a winsome tone of voice. What I'm actually just doing you is just telling you to worship. That is the Old Testament. That, that's the law. Um, and we know the law didn't work in, term, in terms of what it produced in Israel. Um, it produced worship in short bursts here and there. But God's style now in the New Testament, he's sent his son and he's put his spirit into us. That reveals the oneness of God makes us want to worship. And um, so in some of these things, sometimes we can be guilty of just kind of kicking into performance mode, just getting people to perform, appealing to the will, um, just telling people to worship. What I want to do is find some ways that inspire people. And uh, what I've noticed is when you tell people to really go for it, really worship, it makes people more self-conscious. It actually does the opposite makes people more self-conscious, or I guess I should, rather than God-conscious. Um, so, it doesn't really help people who are underlies. We want to bring the awakening power of truth. We want to help people, remind people what he's done, remind people, help them stand in their identity. So here goes. Um, 
some of these things, actually thinking about it, they are more lifting people's eyes up to the realities of God. And um, they're not maybe so explicitly identity things, but you'll, you'll see as I go through them. Um, opening worship times, time and sort of top seven for the moment. I could pick a whole load, but here's some. Um, yesterday we looked at Ephesians 2, 22, that verse, in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember we looked at that um, when we looked at worship in spirit. I've actually found that verse quite helpful verse to, um, to kick off into a worship time. I was in a worship time once where, where somebody said, and the heart behind it was good, but the execution of it was slightly kind of law-based. It was, the, the, it was what, are our, what are our expectations this morning as we come to worship? Are we expecting much of God or, or, or what were our expectations? Come on, let's expect lots of him this morning. Let's raise our expectations as we come to worship. Let's raise our expectations of what God can do. Let's worship him. And in one sense, it's a helpful kind of reminder. But all that person did was just tell us, come on, raise your expectations. They didn't actually give us anything to raise our expectations. And so what I mean by contrast... Um, First one, Ephesians 2.22. I'd say something like this. I'll just do it for you. Um, morning, everybody. We're about to spend some time in worship now. It says in Ephesians 2.22, in him we're being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Friends, that means as we come and worship right now, we're not just gathering to each other, but this is a place where God dwells. He's building us together for a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That means this morning, as we stand, as we sing to him, God is amongst us by his spirit. And when he's here, boy, anything can happen. I don't know if you feel tired or weary or far away. You're in the right place right now. God is here. As we begin to sing this morning, start to open our hearts, our hands to him, invite his spirit in. As I'm bringing that verse to people... You're raising people's expectations without telling them to raise their expectations. Just you're letting the word of God do it. Um, so, first one, Ephesians 2.22, I found that verse just helpful way to raise expectations, to give people appetite, give people hunger. Such a great promise, isn't it? Like, in him, you are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Um, and you're helping people to stand. And how, how could I weave identity in that? I kind of started at the end. If I was thinking a bit more into people's identity, I guess you would say things like, um, you know, it doesn't say those who are walking with God really well this morning get to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. No, it just says in him, you, all of you. Those who have had a really great week, those of you who feel like you're not doing very well, no, if you're in Christ this morning, you are a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. You're in the right place. God is here. And you're kind of leaning into just identity. Does that make sense? Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, this is around the theme of, of drawing near to God. I read in um, Exodus 3 a while ago, you know, the bit when Moses comes across the burning bush. And, um, and God says to Moses through the bush, do not come near the place you're standing on is holy ground. You know the, the passage we do well. And I was just looking at that phrase, like, do not come near. It's interesting. I think it, it re- made me realise in Hebrews, those words are the opposite around, like, let us draw near. It's almost the same, it's like the same phrase, isn't it? Like, come near, you know, N-E-A-R, near. But in the Exodus, it's like, do not come near. It's like, it's like the opposite, like, don't come near. God's saying to Moses, don't come near. 
oh, that's quite interesting. And I, my kind of worship leader antenna goes up. I'm thinking, oh, maybe there's a little thing here we could use to open up a meeting. So here's what I'd say. Um, I might read it out. I'd like to try and memorise verses just because it when you've got a guitar in your hand it's a bit faffy to pick up a bible but i've actually learned it is good to model reading scripture in front of people so I'd, yeah it depends whether i've got a stand in front of me but i'd say morning everybody it says in exodus 3 moses came across a burning bush and god was in that bush and god said to moses do not come near for the place you're standing on is holy ground do not come near god said to moses you stand back, don't come near to me because I'm holy. But contrast that this morning with what God says to us today. Because of Christ, because of his cross and resurrection, we read in Hebrews, God said to us, let us draw near. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Friends, this morning there's an invitation to draw near to God. We get to do what Moses wasn't allowed to do in that moment. We get to draw near. Let me invite you this morning as we stand, as we worship him, let's be those that stand back. Let's be those that respond to the invitation. Take a step closer to God this morning. Draw near to the Holy of Holies. Come and have a touch from heaven. Come and enjoy his Holy Spirit afresh. Let's stand and worship him together. Um, I'm inviting people to take a conscious step into um, into just enjoying God. Um, and I kind of linked it with Jesus and the resurrection and the cross. Um, I think leaning into the identity stuff, I think you, again, you could probably go even a bit further than that. You're wanting to connect with people who are feeling guilty or whatever. As much as you can in that moment in opening a meeting, helping, just serving up the grace of God to people. It's not about you, your performance. It's not about who you are, what you've done. It's about who God is. Um, so yeah, that's another one I'd use quite a lot just to help people take a, a step um, closer to God. Uh, number three, actually, it's the same verse in Hebrews 4 around um, let us draw near to the throne of grace I was really struck really that the one we're drawing near to isn't a burning bush but when we're drawing near to the heavenly throne wow amazing but it's not just a, a throne um, of judgment it's actually a throne of grace so it goes like this morning everybody how's it going blah blah blah, blah, blah. We're going to take some time to worship God through singing right now. Let me just read something in Hebrews 4. It says this. Let us draw near to the throne of grace where we find mercy in our time of need. You know, it doesn't say let us draw near to the throne of judgment or the throne of condemnation or just the throne. It says the throne of grace. Friends, as we come this morning and take a step closer to God, we're coming to one who is rich in grace. We're coming to one who gives grace and goes on to say we receive mercy in our time of need. Who here has a time of need right now? Who here needs mercy? We're in the right place. As we take a step closer to God, as we worship him, he pours out mercy on our need. So I don't know if you feel like you're doing really well as a Christian this morning or you feel like you're, uh, you're, you're close to God, you're performing well. That's not the deal. It's about the fact we come to a throne of grace. Let's stand together. Let's come to a throne of grace. Let's enjoy him, worship him, bring our hearts to him and receive mercy into our lives. You're helping people in that moment just align with what's true. Like, it's not like it wasn't true before, but you're helping just remind people. You're giving people off the bat the foundation to worship is the invitation of grace, not just like, oh, I better bring my gifts. Um, that's Hebrews 4. 
a great exhortation just to, um, to worship. Interesting, actually looking at these, these three things I said they've, so far, they're more kind of like wetting appetite verses. I'm just processing it really as I'm saying it. More making people want to worship, want to draw near to God. Um, yeah, Colossians, next one, Colossians 3. I actually did this yesterday uh, as we, we, after the break. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. You know, let us um, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What a brilliant verse. Just what, what great instruction for life in general. Just set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Um, it goes to say, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But actually, think about it, that's a great uh, exhortation to worship. Um, you know, you just, there's so much stuff in the practical on earth that we fill our minds with because we live on earth. Um, but particularly when you're coming just in, in a time of worship, just to ask your congregations to set their minds on things that are above um, is really important. So I, I would say, uh, morning run, yeah, blah, 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 hope you're doing well. Da, 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 da. Um, hey, it says in Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Right now, as we gather to worship, to sing, what I want us to do is let's lift our eyes up to him. There's so much stuff on earth right now which is distracting and can be causing anxiety and worry. Right now, let's just around the room, even might be playing guitar at this moment when I have the band, let's just around the room, let's just begin to just lift our eyes to him. Look at him. It says where Christ is seated. Just think about the risen Jesus for a moment. He's on a throne. He's sat down. He's okay. We're seated with him. Let's just begin to set our minds on, on that for a moment. And you're asking people just to think be God conscious for a moment. And what you find in those like two minutes, you can win so much ground in worship. When you don't do this, you just launch into a song. We know it can sometimes take two or three songs for really a congregation to sort of get to that place. And it's kind of natural, as you said, people are being lied to, distracting, getting the kids and the kids work, and it's like, right, you finally get there. It sometimes takes two or three songs to kind of like realign your minds. I think as we've had to kind of shorten our worship times a little bit, our meetings a little bit shorter, I've just learned, you know what, we can win a lot of ground in the first two minutes, just in the way we open up in a worship time, rather than just kind of wait for the two or three song warm-up. So I guess this is where this is coming from. So that's a Colossians 3 thing. Um, Number five... Uh, sometimes I've done this the concept of just revelation in heaven um, I kind of did this a little bit yesterday um, I was just reading through Revelation 4 and 5 I mean there's so much stuff in there you can lead people into worship from but this is actually from um, just thinking about I'll just say it, you can hear it um, yeah it's around this like good morning everybody let's, let's stand together and worship you know when we peer into heaven you read through Revelation and see what the end of the story is like. We don't see a God who's worried or anxious or fearful. We don't see a God who's, who's upset. What do we see in heaven? We see joy. We see feasting. We see laughter. We see peace. That's what's going on in the heart of God right now. It's not a shred of anxiety in the heart of God. He's not worried about the earth. He's peaceful. You know what Jesus told us to pray? Your kingdom come as it is on heaven, here on earth. This morning, we're asking God for as it is in heaven, that joy, that peace. 
just to be in this room. Come and get close to the God who's peaceful, who's joyful. His kingdom is a heavenly kingdom and it's here in you. So as we stand and worship together, we're inviting his kingdom, his joy, his peace, his life to come to us. Bring yourself to him, but lift your heads and ask him for a fresh touch of his spirit of heaven today. Yeah, so just my little take of trying to explain your kingdom come, I guess. Um, but again, there'd be loads of stuff in Revelation um, that you could lead into worship from. Um, number six. Uh, and I heard Andrew Wilson say this. No, no, I didn't actually. Someone else. Uh, he, he Googled it, and I did as well. I was like, that can't be right, but it actually is. Um, good morning, everybody. We're saying worship. Do you know what the last words of Buddha were? The last words of Buddha were this. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Work hard to gain your own salvation. And contrast that this morning with the last words of Christ. It is finished. This morning we get to come to one who has done the hard work for us. We don't have to come striving and working hard to gain a place before God. Let the words of Christ echo into your soul again. It is finished. We're standing this morning on the finished work of Christ. No matter who you are, what you've done, how good your week has been, that has no standing when it comes to when you come before God. We're standing on one thing, one thing alone. That's the finished work of Christ. So come gather to him this morning. Those who feel they're doing well, those who feel they're not, let's be confident in this of what Jesus has done. Let's enjoy him together as we worship. What are we doing there? We're helping people to stand in our identity and be confident in the finished work of Jesus. Um, number seven. Uh, again, I, I taught this a little bit yesterday. Um, this is from John 4. And I'll probably read out the passage. Um, uh, True worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. They are the kinds of worshippers the Father is seeking. Hey, did you know this morning the Father is seeking worshippers? He's not just seeking converts or seeking a crowd or just seeking bums on seats. He's not even seeking worship. We learn here he's seeking worshippers, people, individuals with hearts, lives, stories. He's made you. He knows you by name and he's seeking you, not just the person next to you. He wants you. Why don't you respond to that seeking this morning? Why don't you be a worshipper of God? Let's stand and come and face up to a father who loves us, knows us inside out. Let's bring all that we are to him and know that he's seeking us. What an amazing thing that God is seeking. It's an active word. He's pursuing you. He's chasing you. Let's be, let's be worshippers this morning before God. Um, there are just seven like quick things to help in those two minutes, I guess, make people God conscious, um, make people aware of just the spiritual realities they actually live in and really helping people to stand in our identity. They're like, there's seven out of a lot more. To be honest, as you read the Bible, I'm sure you guys do this anyway, like that you can pick a worship leading exhortation from pretty much every verse in the Bible. So I just grabbed like these seven um, I quite enjoy memorising Bible verses, so I, it's quite easy to have these in my head. Um, so I don't often plan them, I just sort of feel in the moment, like, 
God, what are you doing? What's going on? If the room feels quite distracted and quite buzzy, I might you know, go to Colossians C, verse 1, let's lift our eyes to things above. Um, yeah, so I try and arm myself with these, have them in my back pocket, have them in my head. Um, but there's obviously many, many more. People are being distracted and lied to. You do want to um, help people make them want to worship. Um, but going back to these three stand things, what we're doing here, we're helping people to stand in their identity. You know, this session is about practical shepherding skills. Yet one part of that is opening meetings. Um, keep using scripture as we do that. Um, but also in our song choices, and I guess those who are overseeing worship leaders, do look at their song list. Hey, what are you thinking this morning? Do you guys do that? Do you connect with your worship leaders? I spoke to the, our worship, the worship guys here last night. Talk to your meeting hosts before the meeting. Talk through. These are the songs we're thinking. Ask them why. Okay, that's great. Why, why do you want to do that one? Not in a like, why do you want to do that one? But oh, t- tell me what you're thinking. Let me in. Um, are you looking at those first two, three songs? Are they helping people to stand in their identity? Um, if they're not which it might be the first couple of songs are more Old Testament songs, which is like, they're not wrong, you know, like 10,000 Reasons or Strength Will Rise. They're fantastic songs that really help people in worship. But if they're not gospel-centered songs, maybe you need to counter that with the way you open the meeting um, just to help people pastor them. So we're wanting to help people stand in their identity, not worship from a place of lies. Any questions on that? It's not too complicated. It's good. <laughs> um, great. Um, second, so we've got helping people stand on helping people to stand through suffering. Uh, I would say, at a ballpark guess, at any one time, a third of your congregation. Um, are going through some kind of major suffering. That's a really major sort of suffering, or they're just, how are they doing right now? They're in a trial. Um, I don't know, we can't say exactly a third, but I'd say just from knowing people and, and being a pastor, and you know, you look around a room, you think, oh gosh, you're walking through something right now, and yet you're finding life quite hard. A third of the room would be going through some kind of major suffering. I'd say a third of the room would be um, not just major suffering, but, you know, life is hard. You know, I've got three kids right now who are five, four, and two. Anna and I aren't going through a major suffering. We're not in a place where there's a major illness or there's a big crisis. But in general, we're in quite a trying season of life. So day to day, we're, we're quite tired. Um, we're quite exhausted. Life is hard. Then I'd say you've got another third, or just life is great. They're just in a real mountaintop, the sun is properly shining sort of place. That is your room every week. Life is great, life is hard. I'm actually going through some major suffering. They're the people we're wanting to lead in in worship. Um, I think pastorally, as well as comfort, you want people to stand through their suffering. Sometimes we can lead worship and really just talk to the people who life is really great and not actually identify and connect with people who are finding life hard. 
Now, we know that the gospel and the good news um, and, and because of Christ, God is actually working all things for good. And even our suffering is working for good. He's made a promise to not turn away from doing good to us. I'll do good to you of all my heart and my soul, says in Jeremiah. It's all good, good, good. But we know, actually, we can't just say that to people who are in the thick of suffering. That's even not, you know, we need to come alongside people. And you're, you're good pastors. You wouldn't just sort of say that when someone's pouring out their heart. Oh, it's okay. God's working out for good. But sometimes we can do that when we lead worship. You know, so we wouldn't pass the people like that when we're sitting with them in their couch and they're crying. But when we lead worship, we do. You know, isn't it amazing? God's just really good. Everything life's really good. He's working everything for good. That's great for half the room. Another half would just be like, oh man, this is hard. And it's like, are they are they bad worshippers then? You know, are they like, come on, get with it, line up, have faith. No, it's not wrong, and you know, but we'd actually need to help connect with people um, in that place. Even in that dark place, actually, God calls them to a place of worship and trust. And obviously, we read through the Psalms, the whole spectrum of like human emotion is, is expressed really in the Psalms. Even the darkest sort of place and the, the cries of where are you, that's actually a worshipful cry. You know, being able to vent your, um, your pain, your frustration, your confusion, it's better to take that to God than take it anywhere else. That's part of worship. All of human like, emotion can be worship. I think John Piper says to give vent to the full spectrum of human emotion as worship. If we just equate worship as joy in a kind of buoyant, positivity way, um, we are shortchanging people and actually enjoying God in, in every season of life. Um, every season, every emotion is an opportunity for worship. So as worship leaders, as meeting hosts, we're wanting to help people to actually in that place to stand through their suffering and to love God in it, um, not just appeal to those who aren't in it. So how? How? Here be some really like obvious ways one would be just for worship leaders to find songs, just songs that connect with that place. Just songs that, that, that can connect with people standing uh, in a dark. Just songs that are honest, songs that connect with suffering. I don't mean songs that are like just a four and a half minute depressing dirge, because that can be very isolating for everyone else. You know, if you, if you come across songs like that, I've, I've written some songs like that that... Um, <laughs> It's coming from a real honest, deep place. But I've realised I'm not sure this is a song for Sunday. Because actually it would be very isolating for the other sort of two-thirds of people. They're just not in that place. So even though there are some psalms that are very dark, hey? <laughs> some of them like Psalm 13, Psalm 5. You look at the big questions. How long? How long? How long? You read that out on a Sunday... To some people, that's exactly all right. Other people, it's like, all right, mate, chill out. Is everything okay, Simon? You know, we better pray for you. Um, but the danger is, if we don't go there, we're actually shortchanging people and not helping people. So there are some songs that would just connect with that place. So just, um, I guess, famously, you know, 12, 13 years ago, Blessed Be Your Name sort of went there. Uh, in, I don't know, I feel like this is kind of come a bit more mainstream into Christendom sort of worship songs in the last sort of 10, 15 years. I think with, with Blessed Be Your Name that kind of kicked that off a little bit. Um, you know that song that just goes through the different seasons, like I'll praise you, you know, when there's, um, 
when the sun's shining down on me, the world's always going to be great. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, what a line. What a line. And what I like about that line is it's actually slight, it's, it's ambiguous. You know, it's not saying, um, though I'm depressed, or saying, though I've lost a family member, or though I'm really hurting inside. It's though there's pain in the offering. And that line will mean something different to everyone else in the room, which is great songwriting. That's really smart. It's not too specific, too narrow, it's, but it's, like, it's poignant enough to actually mean something. And it's, well, the line before it was actually, though the sun's shining down on me. So it's not like really isolating the songs about pain and suffering and how long it's like we've got that before it. No, it's like just a catch-all kind of like song. But it, it, for that person who's in that third of the room, you've chucked them a lifeline. There's something here this morning for you. Um, I wrote a song a few years ago called Holding On, um, which verse one of it was more like, I've tasted of your favour, known your goodness, follow me. Not one moment have you failed us, not one step outside of your love. But verse two was, um, I've stared darkness in the face, been disappointed and lost my way, but you've loved me, understood me, held me safe in the palm of your hand. And it took me a while to write that verse. I wanted to connect with, um, it's actually because in our family, hey mate, welcome. Um, um, we had some depression in our family and um, just living with, with depression is like, it's, it's not, not good. You know, I'd not really understood much about depression just sort of growing up, but I think having more of a first-hand experience of it in my family, um, just seeing the effects of it and just how it just robs and destroys and how you just don't even have the, the physical like, ability to have a positive emotion. I'm just sort of living with that. Um, so I, I wrote the lyric, I stared darkness in the face. And I didn't want to be like, I've been depressed or, you know, I know someone who's depressed or I've lived a depression. That's too isolating. Um, being disappointed. I remember hearing Terry Virgo speak on disappointment at home and just realising disappointment is a massive deal in the Christian life. Disappointment is huge. And the way you handle disappointment, you know, disappointment is just energy just flows out of your body. It just drains you. I think actually everyone gets disappointed now and then. I thought, yeah, okay, I've been disappointed. So then, um, see, I've stared darkness in the face, been disappointed, lost my way, and I wanted to find a way that wasn't too isolating. So I put being disappointed, not I am disappointed. You know, because if I say I am disappointed, actually that's not actually true right now for a lot of the room, but it might be for a third. So saying I've been disappointed, that's true for everyone. I'm just talking to songwriters here. Find ways that don't isolate people um, with your lyrics, but still connect with those. The Venus would lost my way, but you have loved me, understood me, held me safe in the palm of your hand. Even the thing of understood me, that's just huge. God gets me. (sighs) You know, you feel like your personality, you feel a bit different to other people around you, or no one really gets me. I remember just understanding God gets me. God gets Simon. He gets my sense of humour. He gets my weird sort of quirky ways. Um, so that was my sort of take on just trying to connect with suffering a little bit in a song. We also wrote a song called So Good, um, which just came from understanding how God is working all things out for good. Um, you know, lift my eyes up to your goodness. Uh, I can't remember any lyrics. Does anyone know this song? Uh, yeah, lift my eyes up to your goodness. 
to my father who's generous every morning, every night, you're doing good to me. I look around, count the blessings. I'm surrounded by your mercies every morning, every night, you're doing good to me. It's like, yes, God's so good. Verse two, um, when the daylight turns to darkness, through the sorrow, through the heartache, even there, I'll remember you're doing good to me. For your favour is a waterfall, unrelenting, unstoppable. Um, every morning, every night, you're doing good to me. But I wanted to find a way, like when the dark turns, turns to darkness. Um, anyway, I'm, going, I'm rambling a little bit. But find songs, worship leaders, um, and this kind of does need to be part of your diet. It's not every week you need to go there in a, in a depressed way, but I think over the course of, you know, a few weeks, are we finding songs that do connect just with the realities and the suffering just of life? And in that place, you're helping people to love God, helping people um, to trust God. Um, they're kind of through the valley songs um, that just have some honesty to them. Um, and I would find actually, so one would be songs, two would be scriptures. I would find scriptures that do that. So I just, um, uh, it's one I came across recently that was just beautiful. You know, there's so many psalms that just tap into some honesty. But most of them actually resolve. You know, yet I will call this to my mind. You are faithful, you are good. Um, So actually, I've come to realise, actually reading out some of these verses, you are connecting with people in suffering, but you're not just sort of leading it there, you're helping them um, resolve it to a place of good. I think in our exhortations to worship, in those moments where you're looking around the room and like, no one's really worshipping, what do I do? Um, actually have a few of these up your back pocket you know up your sleeve have a few of these psalms that connecting with with a place of suffering if if that's what you feel even just prophetically in the room it feels quite heavy this morning great grab a psalm um, that does that takes people to their place Um, I'll just quickly um, I can't remember what the psalm is I have to just quickly google it but I read this recently and it helps me a lot Um, does anyone know the psalm that says at the end with you is a full redemption I think it's Psalm 130. There we go. I'll just read it out quickly. Psalm 130, and I'll read it from the ESV. Um, So I think this was like three songs in. We had a good sort of stand in your identity. This is who we are in Jesus. Isn't he amazing? Let's realign ourselves. You know, some gospel-centered songs. I think three songs in, I was leading on piano. I just like, we took a little moment, just played a few chords. But I said, let's read Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman waiting for the morning, more than the watchman waiting for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, with the Lord is steadfast love, plentiful redemption. This psalm starts off saying, out of the depths I cry to you. Maybe right now you feel like you're in a valley, you're feeling like, oh, this is hard. You feel like you're in the depths. You need some help. But the psalmist goes on to say, I wait for the Lord. 
What is it you're waiting for this morning? Are you just waiting for a season change? Just waiting to get out of this valley? Are you waiting for just a promotion? You're waiting just for a bit more money? You're waiting for some more space in your life? You're waiting for a house to come through? What is it? What are the depths you're in? Right here, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. It might not be there's a season change anytime soon, but what there is, is the presence of Jesus. So just in the depths right now, let's just around the room, let's take a step closer to him. Just invite his spirit to come. It goes on to say, Israel, hope in the Lord. He's with you right now. Let's worship him and probably pick one of those songs that's slightly lent into that. It's not too heavy. It's not too depressing. You know, I'm trying to be um, positive and buoyant. I'm trying to, um, trying to use language that will connect with the guy at the back who doesn't understand any of this stuff. I'm trying to use examples that would like connect with him or her. So... Um, yeah, find scriptures that do that, um, that connect with, with suffering as well as songs. Um, I just had another scripture come into my head that we've used recently. Oh, it's gone. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, but I would, I would encourage you to, um, to, to think that through. Do you know what? I've learned this from leading worship most Sundays for the last 10 years. There are some Sundays where I wake up in a dark place, where I'm not doing well. And you know this as pastors and preachers. And I think, gosh, I've got to stand up in front of a few hundred people in a couple of hours and put on a brave face and, and lead them to worship God. Like, I can't do that right now. You know, if it's like I'm just finding life hard. And in the morning, my own just sort of quiet time, I need to pastor myself to a place of just like trusting God again. And it occurred to me a few years ago, like, Simon, you do realise you're not the only one who woke up feeling like this this morning. There's probably about a third of the room that do that. The process that you've just gone on through, you actually need to just let your congregation do that. And that's where it hit me, like, oh, that is leading worship. I've just led myself into worship. So I literally just did what I read that morning just to the room. I tried to do it in a way that wasn't isolating to people who weren't in that place. But um, in general, over a month or, a, or you know, six months, you're in those categories, then fine. You need to use what, where, where God's put you to lead people. Now, I've seen this done badly as well. Some of our worship leaders have gone through a real trial and really squeezed and life's hard. And they stand up and they... And it's all like down, it's like life's hard right now and you're really struggling and, and you read some verses and you know, let's kick off into a song and it's a dirge and it's like the, the room's dead. You know, you want to kill yourself. You're like, oh my gosh, this is awful. And you're like, some, some, at, you know, sometimes worship leaders are using that to pastor themselves. You should have done that on your own first. Do you know what I mean? That, that's actually not helped people. And it's made people kind of, their heart's bleeding for you, but you kind of need to pass yourself to a place, then you can do that publicly. So I have seen it sort of done not so well. So it does, it does need to, um, yeah, need to come from a real place. And the application in that moment, sorry, um, we've got songs that connect with suffering, scriptures that connect with suffering. The application um, is trust. Very often. Uh, and so I'd find songs on the back of those kind of scriptures that help people trust God. So that song I said earlier, Holding On, you know, I've stared darkness in the face, been disappointed, lost my way. 
the, the mid late section of that song we wrote um, shall we see you in the blessings yet forget you in the trials yeah that line from Job shall we see you in the blessings yet forget you in the trials no in all these things you are working so I'll stand and I'll trust you now the application I would as a pastor and as a leader I would try and bring is helping people to trust just to trust God um, I remember actually hearing Matt Redman lead worship with Blessed Be Your Name um, years back, like 10 years ago. And he said this in the, in the, like, towards the end of the song. The song finished, and he does what he does so well, just passing the room. He said, um, the band was still playing, he just said, whatever, along the lines of, whatever walk of life you're in right now, let's bring a trust offering to our God. Let's come and bring our hearts to him. Let's just say, whatever you're going through, God, I trust you. Let's be those that are bringing an offering of trust, a trust offering to him. What a great phrase, a trust offering. They're like, that is, that is worship. Just saying, okay, I'll trust you. For that person in that moment is like a huge act of worship. More than this or like this, or jumping around or like singing really loudly. Just them going from a place of like, I'm on my own and I feel like God hates me to like, I'll trust you. It's worship. You're leading people in worship to a place of like loving him. So I would, I would try and find songs to do that, try and find practical ways of doing that. Um, yeah, just trust. Yeah, sometimes I would, even at the end of a song, you know, like Stuart's song, The Lord's My Shepherd, I'll trust in you alone, I'll trust in you alone. Endless mercy follows me. Because I would sometimes even just, if I feel like, hmm, People need to bring trust to God. Um, just even take a moment to let the just band play. Just take a moment right now. If there are things in your life that you're finding hard to trust him in, why not just a way of saying, God, I trust you. Just open your hands to him and just imagine they're in your hands. Just bring an offering to him. Say, God, I'll trust you. And maybe sing that chorus again. Just so there's a physical, practical way, you know, that what we do physically does affect us. Um, so, yeah. We want to help people stand in their identity, help people stand through suffering, but also wanted to help people stand in their weakness, stand in their weaknesses. The reality is, um, every day and every week, uh, we do fall short. We do sin. We genuinely sin. And the gospel... uh, Though we have a new identity, it doesn't say to us, the sin in your life, you know what, it doesn't matter. That's not the gospel. Although we are in Christ and righteous, and he's in us, and our sin doesn't affect the way God sees us or loves us, we do know it does affect us, and God wants us to walk before him in righteousness as well as just being righteous. So I'd assume you would teach the same thing. We would teach people to repent of their sin and walk in righteousness. And we know that that sin does affect um, us and our relationship with God. We want to help people just be cleansed. We want to help people with their sense of failure. And there's one thing to say, um, we stand before him as righteous. You're in Christ. You know, it is finished. Those words echo around your soul. But the reality is, somebody might be having a deep, sinful habit that they're enchained in. And they know as soon as they leave this meeting, the chances are they're going to screw up again tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And it's just, it's dark for them. 
How can we help them worship Jesus? In that moment, how can we help people in their, in their weakness just worship Jesus? Come to him. In our church, we have communion every week um, after the sermon. Joel always preaches to, to coming to the table. But one of the reasons we do that is because we, we are levelling just everybody. Communion is the great leveller, isn't it? No matter how good or oppressive you are, all of us come to the table needing Christ. And this is one of the ways we outwork this. We're, we're not saying, hey, like we're better, we've got it together. Even saying to our city, you know, we're Christians, we're righteous. It's like, no, we're just as bad as the rest of people. We just found a saviour. And so when we have communion, Joel preaches on purpose to Christ. We're inviting everybody to come to the tables to receive mercy, to receive grace, to receive forgiveness, that we have a weekly rhythm that even if someone is just deeply enchained in sin, they've got something that is power in their lives, they've got something they can come and just find, um, find a space to repent, a space just to confess, a space just to, just to confess, to be cleansed again. Um, yeah, so sorry, communion would be one thing. And we, we make communion. It's good to remember Jesus. He does say, like, do this in remembrance of me. But communion is more than just remembrance. Um, it is an important thing and part of it. But it's also part of bringing our weakness to God and remembering we're taking him into our body as a tangible thing. Of We have Christ in us and that he is, um, his blood is here right now to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, giving people a space for, for confession and just cleansing you know, I find that so helpful on a, on a weekly basis to come and just like, oh, I've got somewhere to go with my weaknesses. Like, it's okay. God's here to forgive and good to cleanse. <laughs> I think um, songs would be, um, I'll just look at my notes here. Songs would be another one. Finding songs that connect with not just suffering, but connect with, with weakness. Songs that actually just give a bit of voice to that. Just say, like, I, I need you, you know. I wrote a song a few years ago called Gracious, which actually came from the, the bit where Jesus says, a, a bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. I didn't actually reference that verse in the song in the end. It felt a bit odd singing about bruised reed. Um, that was the chorus initially, but I realised that doesn't have any cultural connection or relevance, like, a bruised reed you will not break. What does that even mean? Um, so I, I didn't go with that metaphor. But... The lyrics were, time and time again, feeling like I failed you. I've let down a friend, my heart aches. I tried it on my own, ended up in pieces, nothing good to show. I need you. And the pre-chorus is, what if your love is bigger than my mess? What if your grace can heal my brokenness? And the chorus is, in all the world and universe, you specialise in failures. Oh, you're gracious. You take my mess, nail it to a cross. Broken lives rise again, broken years restored again. Oh, you are gracious, you make my life a trophy of grace. And verse 2 is, there's healing in your wounds, forgiveness for the sinner. Your kindness leads me to repentance. Turn my face to find a father who's gracious. No anger in your eyes, but mercy. I know your love is bigger than my mess. I know your grace can heal my brokenness. Um, I'm, I tried to write a song, partly for my own sake, to be honest, but just that would connect with a place of, of sin. And um. Yeah, in our modern kind of worship movement, we, we don't do this very often. And you can kind of see why. Like, you, 
if you go too far down this road, it becomes very introspective and very like me and my mess and my sin. And we want to lift people's eyes to God's goodness, but we also want to help people confess their sin. We want to help people with their issues, just bring, bring it to him. And the reality is God doesn't have a problem with that, you know? But he's like, there's a seat at the table for everyone. And once you've sat down, come and feast, come and eat. But he does want to come alongside, now let's talk about this. Let's help you to grow. I think helping people in that place um, with their sin, with their weakness. So again, find songs that do that. Um, Redmond's song, Heart of Worship, is quite old now. Um, you, do you know the story behind Heart of Worship? I'm coming back to the Heart of Worship. Um, at the time, the Soul Survivor Church in Watford, there's lots was taking off worship-wise, and Matt, the Soul Survivor, um, it was all about the worship, the big bands, and Mike Pilavarchi felt... We just need to stop this. The main thing has not become the main thing. We need to just come back to our first love. And then they, they, they canned it all and just went to one acoustic guitar for, for quite a few months, I think. And in that season, Matt Redman wrote, Heart of Worship, you know, when the music fades, all the stripped away, I simply come longing just to bring. That's the story to the song. And then the chorus is come back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. It's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. And for, for that season, that's what that song was about. What I love about that song is it says, I'm sorry, Lord, in it. There's just not many songs that say, I'm sorry. And it's, that's a bit odd, really, because it's not, it's not bad, you know? We, we should be sorrowful with, with the sin in our lives. That's, a, that's appropriate, a godly sorrow. And it's not like a... You, know, you sing that line round and round forever and ever. It's, you only sing that you know, four or five times a time. But just giving voice to your people to say, I'm sorry for the thing I've made it. Now, 20 years on, we sing that song. Most of the young millennials in our church don't really know the history to that song. So they're not thinking, oh yeah, it has become about the music. It has become about that. As you know, when I sing that chorus, I might just drop that chorus in. Again, like, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. Actually, it means something different to every person in the room. We all make the Christian life about things that aren't Jesus now and then, don't we? So I think I'm sorry, Lord, thinking, oh, man, I've made it about me. Oh, I've made it about this. Um, so just helping people to confess, to say sorry to God in their songs uh, as, as part of our Christian worship. Um, you know, we, I don't know if you have confession boxes in your church. Um, we don't uh, in Emmanuel. And in one sense, you know, you, you can sort of laugh at that. But in another sense, there's something really good and godly about that. I mean, it does say confess your sins to God, yeah, but also to one another. That, you know, there's a confession of just getting it out of you, which is a godly part of repentance and should be fairly normal part of the Christian life. So we have a prayer team every Sunday, just people are going to get prayer. But part of that is just, just we need to confess, just prayer. We, you know, we hook people up with pastors on the back of it in the small groups. But it's just an important part of just, of just people's worship. But you don't want to just stay in that place. Like, oh, I failed. You want to help people stand in that place. You know what? We're all weak. So we use this kind of language quite a lot, particularly for the person on the back row who will look in and be like, I don't belong here because I'm not clean. I've literally had those conversations with people. And I feel like there's something really special at your church and I want to be part of it, but I just feel dirty and I'm not like those people. And in one sense, the fact they feel dirty is kind of good. That's some conviction of the Holy Spirit there. Do you know what? You aren't actually clean. You need to come and find a saviour. 
But in other sense, you don't want them to look at everyone else and be like, they've all got it together, they're okay. No, we all need Jesus. We all don't love God perfectly. And we all have hearts that wander. We want to lead people back to a place of he's inside of you and he's with you and he's working in you. Um, Yeah. Helping people uh, to stand in their weaknesses. I think in that place, sometimes fear can overtake people. I'm never going to get through this. You know, worry, uh, anxiety, sin can be like the biggest thing in people's lives. I think even in going to that place, you want to kind of squash that bit down in and just magnify Jesus, keep pointing people back to Christ, um, his, his work on the cross. Yeah, so I think just in summary on this first bit, just some practical shepherding skills. We're wanting to, in our worship, in our obedience of Colossians 3, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, singing the gospel. Also wanting to help people to stand through suffering, through weakness, helping people to stand uh, in their identity. So much of this is just about how we are shepherding people. Um, I do this as a worship leader, but I think that's be- partly because, like not all of our worship leaders would do this. It's partly because I'm a preacher and I love teaching. Um, so that kind of spills into the way that I lead worship. Actually, some of our worship leaders, their main gifting isn't teaching at all. Um, they might be more just really prophetic or when they sing, they just have a particular amazing musical gifting. When they sing, people just worship. So we've had some of our younger worship leaders sort of try and, and say some of these things in between a song and it's actually been a disaster. It's, been, it's not, not really worked. And it's like actually just giving worship leaders permission just to, just to be them and run in their lane. They haven't got to try and do this. Um, you haven't got to like, oh, that's a model of a worship leader I have to follow, which I, I personally found quite helpful when I came to what was CCK 10 years ago. Stuart Townend was excellent at this. Such a pastoral heart, just, just shepherding a congregation through some scriptures, through some songs. Paul Oakley, that was just not his vibe at all. He was just a prophetic, heart-on-the-sleeve guy, just raw. But when he worshipped, man, the room worshipped. If he tried to be Stuart, it wouldn't work. If Stuart tried to be Paul, that wouldn't work. Um, and I'll come to just, it's okay, like I enjoy teaching, I'm a teacher, but I've actually had to just release our worship leaders from having to try and be me or having to be like someone else or Lou Fellingham. Um, yeah, so, and I think same with your meeting hosts. We would have some meeting hosts who are natural preachers but are growing in their gift. And every time I get up to host, it's like a three-point sermon and takes six minutes. You think you've got to clip that down to more like a 60-second thing to lift people rather than just do a long, long spiel. Um, so I guess you've got to play to your giftings, to your strengths. If you're particularly just prophetic, you have a discernment to know what God is doing in the spirit at any sort of moment, play to it. Um, work as a team and the way you shepherd I think before I go on to the culture of apprenticing thing um, any questions on that stuff it's not really complicated but yeah I just wanted to throw it out if there are any any thoughts or questions just um, thinking about the interaction between you as the worship leader and the meeting how does that work on a practical basis yeah as you said you know go and look at their songs yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a little prayer huddle before, about an hour before the meeting, 
at the end of that huddle, the worship leader and the host will talk through the song list at that point there. But during the meeting, yeah, we do have a little system that we, we try and work with our hosts and worship leaders. Funny enough, we actually got our worship leaders together on Tuesday with our hosts <laughs> for this very issue, just to get on the same page on it. So here's a little set of signals that we use. Um, you know, because sometimes somebody would come to the front with a contribution, talk to the elder, and when you, as a worship leader, you're like, oh, someone's there, do I stop, do I do anything? What we've done is the host will, if they want the worship leader to, to carry on, they point at the worship leader. If they've got something they're going to bring or the sounds of being, they just point at themselves. Such a simple bit of communication. It's like you just, it's not like you, it's just like we just know what that means. Like that's, okay, just carry on. It's me, you know, they point to themselves. Then the next kind of best sort of time, the worship leader will kind of land the plane and, you know, um, yeah, let the host come up. So that, that's one bit of communication. And there's so many other hand gestures which can be so confusing. And you can sort of carry on or like this one. Like, what does that mean? I've led worship at a New Day Youth Leaders thing and Steph Lipton's like this. I'm like, one more song, no problems. But he's actually just saying, wait, wait for a mo. Oh, no, 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 the other round. He was saying, he was saying, yeah, do one more. And I thought he meant wait. He's like this. I was like, yep. <laughs> he's like, I was like, Yep. <laughs> and it was like an awkward like 60 seconds and then eventually he was like I was like oh right gosh um, yeah so like you can do all kinds of weird like you know like sort of but uh, yeah we just do you me um, now within that um, the, the other things I'd want to say is that obviously there's there's an overlap of the role of a worship leader and the role of a host in a worship time, depending on the gifting and experience and stature of your worship leader and the gifting, experience, and stature of your host. Um, so we would have some younger worship leaders who are just sort of beginning kind of out of the blocks. Just to sing five songs with a band in front of the congregation is enough. Like they're just feeling their way through that. I mean, the idea of opening the meeting and reading a psalm, like that's a bit too much for them right now. Um, so there'd be sometimes, actually, it might be sort of four, four songs in or three songs or something, they don't know what to do. The meeting's sort of gone in another place and they're, 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 you know, the plane was flying, it was all going well. Oh, no, and we're stalling, we're stalling, I'm stalling, I'm stalling. And the, and the song finishes and they're like, I've got nothing. <laughs> in those moments, what does the worship leader do? You know, and, and the meeting just feels flat or that way or whatever. What, what do they do? And they can't, the worship leader like, can you come up? The signal we've said to our worship leaders is, just take a step back from the microphone. That means to the host, I need your help. And we will train our hosts that at any moment in the meeting, any given point, they can just step up and say what needs to be said. Um, if that's like a, just leading people back to God, if it's just helping people to take a step closer to him. Um, so if you feel like you're just stalling and you need help, just take a step back. And even if, the worship, even if the host is like, no, 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 you, it's fine. Like, oh, okay, you need some help. And just, just to be quick up there, um, at just help, helping people to whatever the vibe is in that moment, whatever goes in the spirit, just to be ready to know what to do. Um, that would be one thing. But the other thing is actually sometimes it goes the other way around. Sometimes the worship leader is just in, in, on the thermal, in the fly zone. And in a good way, in a really good way. You know, we want that for our worship. We want them to, to hit a thermal and you just, something's happening, which is great. 
Um, and in, in those moments, sometimes we've had a younger host who's growing in their gift, like, I want to come and bring something. And I'm thinking, like, as a worship leader, we're in a wave right now. We just need to ride. Um, so the way I've done that, I'm just talking this through with Joel and some of our elders, um, if, if, if I'm just feeling something for the next minute or so, I would just stay just locked in, even just shut my eyes, just kind of keep going. That's my way of saying, like, I'm feeling just in faith for this moment. Um, and like, okay, he's obviously running with something, like, let him go. I'm sort of trusted in that sense. If the host actually feels like, no, I need to get up right now, at any point, they can still just get up on stage, put a hand on the shoulder, like, oh, okay, right, and take a step back. We would teach our worship leaders, this is not your space, this is not your time. You know, the preacher has his time, we have the offering time, this is my space. It's not. This is all Jesus' time. But we are here to serve the elders and to serve the anchor who's leading that meeting, not you. The anchor who's hosting, they'll be aware of loads of stuff you're not even aware of. They're thinking about how they're going to land the preach pastorally. They're thinking they've got to go into the offering in a minute. They're thinking about the time and the way you're not. They'll be carrying things you're not. So when they say they need to do something, you need to say, yes, step back, let them lead. So if it comes up to a stalemate and the host, you know, we shouldn't have the situation where the host is like me and the worshiper is like, no, me. <laughs> That's how you get kicked off the stage and don't leave worship for a month. We, that doesn't happen. That shouldn't happen. Um, so there are times when I can, yeah, it, it, when, when that's the case, um, if I feel like, man, we're in a real like, flowing place here, you know, I know what we're about to do for the next couple of minutes, um, just in the spirit, like prophetically, I would just stay really locked onto the mic and, and shut my eyes and go for it. And I think our hosts and elders know, like, yep, Simon's got something, let's go. But if there are times when they feel like, no, we need, to, we need the meeting to end, and I've come to learn this, like I don't have an off switch when it comes to leading worship, I'll, I'll happily lead for hours and just, just keep going and keep going. Um, I've had to learn to just land the plane for the right time. They, at any time that they can come up and just, you know, as a signal, like, okay, I need to let them do their thing. Does that help answer the question? So working on the, on, the, on the signals is really important, just you and me. Being clear on just even just lines of authority, and I would use that word, like authority, it's like not a very cool word for millennials, but it's a, it's a biblical word. These guys are in charge before God, they're accountable for this service, way. you're not. We're here to serve them, to submit to them. You know, Christ lived his whole life submitting to the Father, it wasn't hard, actually, brought life to him. You know, we're here to serve it and, and submit to our team and our elders. Let's lead them. Um, even points where uh, I, I might wake up one morning and, and like I did earlier, I might have a way I want to open the meeting. Like in those two-minute things, I'm like, I've got a killer one today, you wait. I've really felt God spoke to me from Psalm, you know, this is going to be fantastic. And I get there and a few minutes before, the meeting host is like, I'm going to just open up with Romans 8. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, actually, in that moment, I'm not like, no, I've got something. God's really spoken to me, you know. No, it's fine to submit to what they've got. I've learned to trust, well, God's spoken to me. He's given me something. It might not be for today. 
but it's not wasted. I'll do it next week or the week after. Like, it's okay. I can use it in another context. Um, just to trust. Actually, sometimes I said that. Like, oh, did you have something? Oh, no, no, you go for it. It's fine. It's totally fine. And the host will be like, no, you just run with it. But sometimes it's like, it's not that. It's like, no, no, I, w- I would like to bring something for Romans 8. And just for worship leaders to be okay with that. So I think we do need to communicate that clearly to worship leaders in a winsome way. Great. Any other questions on that stuff? You haven't said anything about um, communion. That, that, I don't know what people do really about communion. I think in our context, we've found poor people that are going through stuff uh, as part of the worship. Just how you do communion can really help people that are up for weak. Either of those, the weaknesses or the suffering, yeah. really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we, we do do it every week. Um, it's the first song after the preach. We actually, in most of our services, have the worship, the long, the sung worship time after the preach. So we kick off with one song, as kind of a gathering song, um, a couple of notices, and Joel just gets straight up to preach. Um, and then we have the longer worship time after the preach for a few reasons. But we we kick off with um, with communion and just coming to the table. Yeah, I mean, we, we communion at that moment, we make it about Christ. We try and throw the net as wide as we can. Like, come one, come all, come, come to the table, come and receive just mercy for your time of need, come and receive cleansing, whatever Joel's sort of been preaching on, we sort of tailor it slightly to that moment. Um, but we have prayer teams at our communion tables. Um, we actually found we've had to work quite hard at keeping the application and that the prayer time actually is better right at the end of the service. So towards the last five minutes of the meeting, that's when we start to get up and talk more about some practical application. Hey, it might be this morning when Joel was preaching, actually we don't mention him by name, it might be this morning that during the preach, uh, God was doing this, maybe some people feel this, we'd love to pray for you. Don't leave this room today without just getting some prayer with one of our team here. Um, but yeah, we do, I think, oh, we go a bit in ebbs and flows really. Sometimes the way we do communion is quite individualistic, which is okay, but, it, but we've actually, I remember Joel preached on it recently about it being more of a body community thing. And so that time we, we did communion for five minutes, we just got people just to pray in twos and threes. And for a, for a whole time we did that. Just, just take bread and wine, just talk to someone next to you. Now in that moment, that's a good missionary. I'm thinking there's a guy at the back there who suddenly freaked out. We're now turning in twos and threes. You know, what am I doing as a missional pastor in this moment? I say, let's take some bread and wine. Let's just pray with the person next to you. Um, if you're new here, I think you don't have to take communion. If you're not a Christian, we say not to take communion. But if you want to sit in, listen to these people's prayers. If you want prayer for anything yourself, just feel free to, to say, oh, I'd love that. Or if you want to just sit on your own right now and just, just be still, that's totally fine. So we're giving people an out, not forcing them to have to do something. Um, yeah, in fact, we, we did that for quite a while. We, we had communion right at the end of the service. We actually, we had a half an hour of time after Joel preached and we ended communion for a whole, about three months in a row. We ended with communion and prayer huddles all around. It was just beautiful. He's finished the service and the whole room would just be in like little groups, just praying together. I should do that again. Let's write that down. Um, Yeah. Any other sort of questions on this stuff? Great. 
I'll just take the next 12 minutes to, to talk a bit, bit about what Tim was saying uh, we did yesterday, last night. Creating a culture of apprenticing, just bringing through uh, leaders, hosts, uh, worship leaders. Um, basically, everything I'm about to say is stolen from PJ Smythe and from the Ferguson brothers. Um, yeah, PJ Smythe's thing is how, how many leaders should you be developing? How many, how many leaders? And his rule of thumb is treble it. Figure out your current need, times it by three. Why three? One batch for your current need, one batch for as it grows, one batch for sending. We're always sending people to plant churches, do some stuff. So he would say if it takes seven elders to lead God first Joburg, which is the church he was leading at the time, we should be thinking we need to train and raise up 21 elders. To, to handle the scale of us as we grow, but also to send people to plant. And like seven elders is, an, is a lot of elders anyway. They were quite a big church, but suddenly you think 21, gosh, that's like, that's a really, that's a lot of elders. That's a lot, you know? But it's something about thinking big that forces you to suddenly look at people differently. You see a guy who's leading a small group, and you think, actually, there's something about you. If you're just thinking, oh, we've got seven elders, maybe we need eight, you maybe think, okay, you should lead another small group. When you're thinking, we should be training 21 elders, you suddenly start looking at people differently. Think, I wonder if actually there's something in you we should get alongside and see what God does. So I heard that a few years back when we were, we were one site, one church, and we had four worship leaders, um, myself, Stuart um, Town and Lee Fellingham and Jules Burt. And um, I had a hunch that Joel wanted to go multi-site. I knew that, I don't know, I could just tell. I think he, he, he wanted to go multi-site. I, I just thought this was going to happen. So me and my friend Sam Cox, we were like, we need to do what PJ's saying. If we went multi-site right now, we don't have nearly enough worship leaders. We should start thinking treble it. So we got four, four times three, 12. Yeah, we got that bit right. So we thought, who would the next eight be? Like, who would they be? And then suddenly we're like, oh, actually, there's a guy there who used to do worship in a church, and there's someone there who plays the guitar, they sing. So we got these eight people, and we, we spent a year investing into them and apprenticing them, which I'll tell you how we did it in a sec. And by the end of that year, we had 12 worship leaders on our Sunday rotor, leading in twos together. So when Joel hit the multi-site button, we could deploy like three to a new site, three to this site over here, and not take a big hit back at home. Um, so thinking treble it is really key to the way in which we are just looking at the people around us. If we don't think those kinds of numbers, um, it's not an urgency to de- develop people. Um, so that'd be the first thing. The second thing is how do we apprentice people? The, the Ferguson model that we use is, um, Jake, do you want to stand up? Jake's a new guy in our church who I think, this guy's got something. He plays acoustic guitar. I wonder if he could lead worship. Now, to chuck him up on a Sunday on his own, just go and lead worship, when you can only like, play sort of eight chords and, and hold a tune together, there's quite a lot to leading worship and the responsibility of carrying a meeting and opening stuff. That'd be quite a lot for him. and I don't want to put him through that. That's a bit unfair on him. And There's various contexts we could maybe like let him try it out for a bit. Um, but right now, I think... I want to kind of come alongside him. So here's what I'll do. Five steps. Um, I do. You help. 
No, no, sorry, sorry. I do, you watch, we talk. Step one, I do, you watch, we talk. Stage two, I do, you help, we talk. Stage three, you do, and I'll help you. You do, I'll help, we talk. Then stage five is, you do. Did I miss four? So stage one, I do, you watch, we talk. Stage two, I do, you help. I do, I help. No, sorry, stage two is, I do, you help. So they go from watching to helping. Stage three is, you do, I'll help. Oh, okay, we did miss four. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, stage four is, you do, I watch. Stage five is, you do, somebody else watches. So it kind of goes back to one. Thanks, Jake. You can sit down now. And the way that worked was, hey, Jake, do you want to come and like, be a part of our band? I've noticed you play guitar. Why don't you play acoustic with me? Play second acoustic. Like, I'm going to lead worship. Just kind of be part of the band. And maybe for a Sunday, he's part of the band, but he's just watching, really. Like, he's part of it. He's not leading any songs. He's just watching the way he worship. We talk afterwards. Hey, how did you find that? Was that okay? And I'm gauging... How was he? Was he a nervous wreck? <laughs> How did he find us being in front of people? It takes a while just to f- find your kind of composure in front of people, doesn't it? Like, um, maybe like, okay, let's do that again, see how it goes. He's doing really well. He's just, he's watching, he's observing. Might be involving him on like, hey, I'm doing these songs, you know, what do you think? Um, then it'd be, I do, you help. Hey, I'd love to do these two songs here, but I'd love you to lead the third one. Can you lead this song? And we'll do it in a rehearsal first. Don't freak out. Let's just run it in the rehearsal a few times. So just get comfortable with the song, with the arrangement. But you lead this song. And then when we get up to lead on the Sunday, like, don't worry about the rest of the meeting. I'm carrying that. Um, I'm going to open it. I've got your back. If it, if it all goes wrong, don't worry. Like, I'm going to lead the song afterwards. And I'm trying to make it as light as possible, trying to remove the burden from his shoulders, um, not load him up too heavily. Just, just, do, just do one thing. Let's talk about it. How did he find it? How was that? Depending on how well he or she did in that moment, or whether or not they moved to the next phase or not. And if it was actually not that good, okay, it's not time to go to the next phase. It's not like, oh, I picked the wrong person. Gosh, okay, let's drop this. No, it's just not time to move to the next stage yet. You know, it does take time for somebody to find their feet. There's grace for that. His voice is a bit wobbly, a bit nervous. That's okay. He's not going to drop him. Oh, that was a mistake. No, just let him do it again. So it might, might be two weeks later, like, do you want to lead another song? And actually, that time there, they just found their feet a bit more, and they just, they just suddenly grow a little bit. But I'm still carrying everything else. There's one song. We talk. Um, it might be that actually, in that song, they just totally flew. Just really confident, and it was just fantastic. I think, okay, we could probably go to the, the next stage here of, of helping. Um, not just one song, maybe two or three songs, like, hey, I'm going to do these first two songs, would you be up for leading the next two? It might be like, actually, in between those two songs, I'd love you to bring a scripture. Just read something that leads into that song. So I'm not just getting them to sing, I'm getting them to, um, to use their, their speaking voice. I mean, you've got to stay there for a while too. That takes a while. 
um, you know, all the normal sort of public speaking stuff that people get wrong when they first speak. Speak slowly, you know, speak clearly, don't rush. Um, that, that takes a while. But also, I would help them to start thinking like a worship leader at this point. I'd be like, I'm doing these, these two songs first. What would you do third? And you start to see how they think. And what, why have you chosen that one? Oh, it's in A major. Okay, um, but you know you can see. Okay, you're just thinking about the key. You're trying to help them think themes. Think is this revelation? Is it response? How, what's the journey we're taking people on? I'm trying to get people to. I'm apprenticing their mindset, giving them a framework to think through song choice. Now, where's Jesus in this song? Just, oh, I not really thought of that. You're, you're helping them in terms of the way they think. And it might be at this stage here, like you do those first two songs, you step back, they do the next two, and they really fly. Okay, this is interesting. So the next time, next stage, you do, I'll help. I want you to pick some songs. I'm here to help you. If you want me to open the meeting, like I can do it if you want. You want me just to do one or two songs, I can do that wherever you want. Um, I, I will help you in any way. I can help with the band and arrange stuff. I can just run through stuff. How can I help you? But I want you to be the leader this time. Um, even just opening a worship time, like that's a big enough step. It might just be like, actually, this time, you know, I'll do, but I want you to open the meeting and I'll carry the rest of it. That's just that's a big enough thing. But you do, I'll help. Then, like, you do, I'll watch. Hey, I'm just going to be in the band, but I want you just to lead it all. And you can just observe. Um, and then it's like, I don't think you need me anymore. You've got this. Now, who in our band do you think you could apprentice to stand alongside you and to lead worship? Is there anybody else at the moment right now you feel like, oh, they've got something they could lead? That process, that kind of five-step process, that has happened for some people over six months. That's happened with one guy in one rehearsal. I was like, I think you've got something as a worship leader. So I was like, I'll just, just try it in, in a rehearsal first. And I, all I wanted to do was lead one song, How Great Thou Art. I, I just said, what I wanted to do is like, I quite like this song. Okay. And he picked up his guitar and just was like, you ready? Within, within like four bars of singing that song, I was like, oh, he's got it. I heard that he had led worship a bit in his home church. But he smashed it, directed the band, go to the verse here. And just like, oh, okay, you're a lot more experienced than I realised. And so I was down to co-lead with him. I was going to do sort of two or three songs. He was going to do two or three just to see how it went. But I was just like, I don't even need to be here in the rehearsal. You could just lead it all. It was quite a pleasant surprise. Um, this guy was in our congregation I didn't even know. So, um, and he's gone on to apprentice tons of people. Together, me and him planted a site. We, uh, we led worship every other week for a term. Uh, but then a year later, he, and a bit me, but mostly him, brought through seven worship leaders. Um, and they're all kind of young, finding their way. But now, three years later, those seven worship leaders are just experienced, good, established like leaders. We can just deploy to any site. And it's partly just through his sort of training and leadership. So that's an apprenticeship model that I've just applied to um, leading worship. But you can do that with meeting hosts hey, I want you to open up the meeting, stand with me. You know, if there's a moment like three songs in, it feels like it's sort of stalling a bit, ask them, what would you do now? Just see how they think. They're not, not, don't necessarily get them to do it. You go up and lead it. But maybe like, if actually what they said was, yeah, that's pretty on point, give them a nudge. 
Go and bring that. Who are you apprenticing as your meeting hosts? And you might think right now, like how many meeting hosts does it needs do you need in your church? You need three or four. Great. Can you start thinking nine, twelve? Who will be the, the next generation of meeting hosts? Even right now, we think, oh, we don't need them. You can't always just go, wait for your need to get there. By the time you start developing people, um, actually you'll find you, you have capacity to grow. You have capacity to plant. You've got trusted guys, girls who can go and do stuff. If you're always waiting for the needs to come, um, you'll just be playing catch-up. Grow yourself. Grow your, your bench strength. You know, it's a sporting phrase. You know, if your key guys are gone, it's fine. You've got great guys on the bench. You can just get out there and smash it. But it does take time. Like, it does take time. Like it's easier, quicker for me just to get up and lead worship on my own. I don't have to prepare the songs as much. I don't have to communicate as much. I don't have to rehearse as much. I can just do it with my A-team of musicians. Um, but I'm not actually apprenticing anybody. So over the last sort of five years, since we've gone multi-site, it's quite rare I would lead worship on my own. I'd almost always have someone with me. Um, all of our worship leaders lead in twos. Always got someone next to them. Um, but this isn't just a worship leading thing. This is just a, how we're bringing through leaders um, in general. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Simon said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org episode 114. See you next time.